Good morning, Crossroads. Such a gift to be with you today. We are moving in our uh, our series on Mark and and focusing really on our identity being found in Jesus. And that's what it's all about. Today we're going to talk about relationships, some some key relationships, our relationship with our Heavenly Father and uh, our relationship with one another. And we're going to do that as we walk through this story. So if you have your Bibles, get, get them out um, to Mark chapter 6. And it's going to be a, a decent amount that we're going to read today. Uh, and so we're going to start in verse 14. Let me pray for us just before we, we jump in here. Father... You see us exactly where we are right now, gathered uh, in a sense, a little bit dispersed and spread out, but we are your children and you love us. And Lord, we know that you have something for us. We know that, that every time we open your word, you have something for us. And so I just pray, I pray that, that you would give us ears that are, are so in tune with what you're saying, that you would give us uh, eyes to see uh, what you're doing and, and that you give us courage, Lord, to take those steps to follow where you lead us. Amen. Amen, church. Here we go. So Mark six fourteen. So what's just happened are the disciples have moved out and they've they've gone on this uh, short term mission trip, so to speak. They've gone out, they've they've healed, they've um, cast out demons, they've they've done the stuff. And we're, we're jumping in here and it says 614 King Herod heard about this heard about what the disciples were doing for Jesus name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John whom I beheaded has been raised from the dead and so we've got this, this preamble that's going to tell us now how that all came about, that John was beheaded. So verse 17, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias, her name was Salome, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. 
He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is one of those stories in scripture that has uh, a, a, a tragic ending. We remember John, we remember how he was prophesied about in Isaiah, where, where it was said that there would be one crying out in the wilderness, one crying out and preparing the way for the Messiah to come. Uh, we, we saw John as he had moved from this, from this sect of uh, scenes where, where he, he came and, and started to tell the people around him, the, the, the Jews, he started to say, hey, you need to get yourselves right before God. You need to repent. You need to, to change what you're doing. You need to, to come back to God. We remember when Jesus came up to him and he all of a sudden recognized the Holy Spirit gave him that sight to recognize who Jesus was. And he said, I'm not, I'm not even fit to untie your sandals. But Jesus said, it has to be done. And, and so John baptized him. And what happened from that point is, is those who understood that Jesus was the Messiah began to, to leave John and, and, and followed Jesus. John the Baptist, in a sense, started to step back and step back and become less and less as Jesus took on his role. And, and we've got these other characters in the story. And when you understand, when you think of, of the, the complexity and you think of, of what's happening in, in the culture and the broad scope, th this isn't just a hidden somewhere in, in, in a back room what, what's happened with the Israelites. This is on a world stage. See, Herod the Great is the father of Herod Antipas, who, who, who is uh, King Herod in this section. And Herod the Great, if you remember back, was the one who uh, the wise men came to him and said, hey, we're looking for the Messiah. We're looking, or not Messiah, we're looking for a king who's been born. And, and do you remember what Herod the Great's response was? His response was to go and kill all of, of the, the male babies that were around him. Herod the Great was ruthless and he was known for that. He had two of his, his old, he had his, his oldest two sons executed because he was worried that they were plotting to take him over. He was connected with all of the higher ups in Rome. He was around when Cleopatra was there. There's all these, 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 these threads. If you have a chance to read some history and go back in that time with what was happening in the Roman Empire at the same time that Jesus was moving and teaching and preaching, it's incredible. And so Herod Antipas, who, who we're, we're talking about and, and, and we're looking at today, uh, was, was one day on a, uh, a trip to go in and see his brother, and they've called him Philip, but, but he was also called Herod. He went to see his brother and he saw his brother's wife and there was something that, that caught in him. Now, 
I'm not sure of the timing for Herod, but Herod was married. He was divorced as well. And at that time, Herodias was still married to his brother. And Josephus, who's a historian, mentions this, that, that Herodias essentially flaunted the laws of the country, divorced her husband, and then was eventually married to King Herod, our Herod that we're talking about right now. So all, all of this is happening. We've got all this, all this tension, all this conflict, all these, these political and family dynamics that are, that are moving around. And so Herod hears about Jesus and there's this, this catch in him, right? He hears about him and he's, he's anxious and he says, says, John, whom I beheaded has been raised from the dead. Now here's what we know also about Herod. If, if you go to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, when he's standing trial, he comes before Pilate. Pilate recognizes that he's from Galilee and he sends him back and he goes, hey, you need to go see Herod. This is his jurisdiction. Uh, let, let him take care of you. Herod's excited because he's wanted to see Jesus for some time. Why? Not, not because he actually believes in God. See, that's another thing is, is Herod the Great and the rest of his family essentially followed the laws of the Jews as, as far as what was comfortable and what, what looked, but they, they did not get the heart part. See, see, there was such, um, such rejection from the Pharisees because the Pharisees even knew that Herod and the family and Herod the Great and everybody, it was all this lie because they were put in this position to oversee the Jewish people. And so Herod's intrigued. We, we know at the end of, of Jesus' ministry, he's intrigued because he wants to see these miracles. And he, he, Jesus is brought before him, sent by Pilate. Jesus sent before him, and show me some miracles. And Jesus doesn't do that. See, it, it's this question of, of is, it, is it superstition? Or, or is it seeking after the, the fanciful, or is it devotion? And that's something that we need to be aware of, and we need to, to be tracking as we're pressing in towards the fullness. We're not pressing towards miracles and healing for miracles and healing's sake. We're not pressing towards signs and wonders to see signs and wonders so that we can be in awe. We're seeking after God. We're seeking the giver of the gifts. Now, at the same time, we can't go on to the other side and, and reject because people like a Herod or people uh, go after in a superstitious or, or in some strange way of just wanting the experience. We can't reject the miracles. We can't reject the signs and wonders. We need to come as disciples of Jesus, look to the way that Jesus did it, and then we need to go and do it the way he did. As disciples, we need to be aware of our relationship with our master. We need to be in tune with our master and we need to seek to minister 
to love the way that he did. Remember his devotion. Remember the time that he would set aside. We read in scripture that he would disappear in the morning early and he would vanish just to go and sit and rest in the presence of God. And that would carry him, that that would move him through, that would keep him in tune. And then he would go and he would both proclaim, he would proclaim God's heart, he would proclaim people need to repent, he would proclaim that, that the most important thing is that God loves you. God loves the world. God's made a way. And then he would demonstrate it. Then he would go in and do what, what that love looks like. And, and sometimes we, we break the two of those. We, we, we only do the proclaiming because we don't have any experience or we haven't seen miracles or the miracles seem to be fleeting or never there. Or, or it seems like we just go after and we just do the miracles. We need to do both proclaim God's love and then, and then show what his love looks like. So let's move on here. <clears throat> so we've got Herod. Uh, so verse 17, Herod had given the orders for John to be arrested. We see that, that there's this, this tension, this intermarriage tension. Some couples have a tension about, uh, uh, about the way that they sleep and, 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 and pulling covers off. There was a tension here because Herodias actually wanted somebody dead. That's a different tension. That's an aggressive tension. That's a heavy tension. She's carrying this grudge. And, and it says here, it talks about Herod not quite understanding what John would say. So, so down in verse 20, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So this ties on to this, this concept of, of Herod's very superstitious, but he also recognizes there's a truth there, but it's never enough of a truth that he grabs onto that he wants to stop doing what he's doing. He, he, he doesn't want to stop his way of life. He doesn't want to stop the, enjoying the amazing things that he has. He doesn't want to stop holding on to the power that he has. If you remember, Jesus quotes Isaiah, his disciples ask him, uh, I believe it's Matthew 13, and, and he goes, this is why I speak to them in parables. So the disciples say, Jesus, why, why are you always talking in parables? Why do you talk in these ways? It doesn't make sense. And, and he says, this is why, because though seeing, they don't see, though hearing, they don't hear and understand. And he's referencing that, that scripture in Isaiah which says just that. So we go to Matthew 13, 15, just down a little bit. He says, for this people's heart has become calloused. If you're sitting near somebody right now who does some work and, uh, and, and uh, work with their hands, reach out now and, and just, just, just feel that callous, feel a callous that they have. And think of your spiritual heart and how you develop a callus around your heart. 
See, what, what happens for our spiritual heart is it's not just a one-time rub against whatever it is. Maybe it's hearing God's invitation into something different. Maybe it's, it's a habitual sin that you go back to and back to and back to. Uh, maybe it's holding on to, to an un, uh, uh, to holding on to unforgiveness, but but feel that callous. It takes time for a callous to develop, doesn't it? It takes a, a repeated motion, a repeated action, a repeated going back to, a repeated uh, pushing against, and a callous forms around the heart. This people's heart has become calloused. They can't see. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, if they'd open them, if they'd hear, I would come. And Jesus says this, I would, I would heal them. And see what, what Herod's wrestling with is he has this calloused, gripped heart. And Herod would eventually get uh, so far down that road and caught in, in this conspiracy that he would eventually be, be expelled from his position. He would lose his position and, and he was sent to somewhere in Spain. We don't know his death because, because he was sent out of, the, uh, out of leadership, out of, out of his, his circle, his sphere of influence. He was callous. See, see, Sometimes we have that same struggle in our lives. Sometimes we have that, that same callous. And, and we, we seem and we appear to do the right things. Right? We, we pray. We, we, we go to church online. We, we do, we're, ni- we're nice people. We're good people. But there's this one area, maybe, that, that has, has this callous around it. And what has to happen is, is we, have to, we have to soften we have to allow, uh, if the callus is deep, we have to allow Jesus really to, to cut that callus. This, this image just came to me. Uh, there's a few times where I've been given gifts and, um, to go and, and get my, uh, go and get a pedicure. Now, that sounds strange, but I think everybody should try it. And I get there, and uh, what you do is you sit in this seat and, and you put your feet in, in this, this bubbly water, and uh, it feels really nice. And then you watch when the, whoever's working on your feet comes over, and she's got this scalpel thing. And I, I, the first time I saw it, I went, oh, no, you're not going to touch my feet with that. And then I saw her go to work. Now, if your feet are anything like mine, I've got massive calluses. And the skin, it was disgusting. I don't even want to describe it anymore because you don't need to hear it. But, but the, whole, the whole point is, is it has to be removed. It has to be removed so that you can get to the soft skin. And what happens on my feet is, is they get so calloused and so dried out and there's these cracks that go deep and they're painful. But, but when the callus is removed, when it's cut off, all of a sudden my feet, they can heal. 
Same thing for, for whatever is, is gripping us, for whatever we're protecting, whatever we're rubbing against that's, that's developed that callus. We need to come into a place where we can let Jesus do his work. We need to, to come to that place of, of vulnerability. How do, we, how do we do that? Well, yeah, we keep doing the right things. We keep doing the good things. We, te- we, we keep praying. We keep seeking God. But there, there's a next level where, where we need to move into a place where we're actually known. And, and God's created us to be in relationship with one another. It's not a solo journey. We need relationships where people know us to our core. And this is why it's so essential, church, it's so essential that we have these relationships. Coming to church is is absolutely, is absolutely an essential, but also being in these groups, in these community groups, which we're going to be hearing more about, is, is, is essential. Moving into a place where we can actually come into, into knowing one another and being known. And, and obviously in, in, a, in a small group setting, you're not going to get into the, the nitty gritties of your, of your life. But within those small groups, and it's happened in, in other ministries like Freedom Session and Soul Care that we're doing. You need to be breaking into triads, into, into smaller where you can share where you can say, hey, I've got this callus. I've got this thing going on and, and I'm, I'm struggling right now. And I, I haven't struggled for years, but, but all of a sudden the callus is back. And speaking it out gives a space for then people to pray for you, to journey with you, to ask you questions, to hold you accountable, to develop a plan. It's the way of life. It's the way of freedom. It's the way that we're created. Herod didn't have that. Herod had people around him that, that just added to his callous. You need people around you that are going to help you get rid of the callous. So I really want to challenge you. If you're in a community group, great. Keep going. Keep pressing in there and within that group, or, or maybe outside of it as well. I, I've got both. Um, develop the relationships where you can be known, where you can share what's going on, where you can talk about the callous. Don't let this one, don't let this one drift by. This is really important. All right. So remember, verse 19, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John. Why? Because John was saying, Herod, you can't do that. You can't live like that. You can't be married to your brother's wife. Listen, Herodias is nursing a grudge because she wanted to kill him, but she wasn't able to. Verse 21, finally, the opportune time came. It's a birthday. It's a celebration. It's this banquet. It's, it's, it's all the high officials. The military commanders are there. And the, and the daughter of Herodias comes and does this amazing dance. Everybody is wowed by it. And then the king says, ask whatever you want, just whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And she goes out to her mom. And, and here's, here's the, the, I mean, in, in and amongst all of, all of the awful things, here's, here's another layer, right? Is, is her mom brings her into this 
this place of, of being part of, of the murder of John the Baptist. And, and see, that's, that's the way that, that sin works. That's the way that, that's the way that anger and rage and unforgiveness work. It, it doesn't just stay on you. It spreads and it spreads beyond and it hurts. And so she asks for John the Baptist right now on a platter. Now, here's, here's the thing. We become what we, we focus on. We become what we behold. And I want, you to get, I want to give you two, two passages here. So Psalm 115, verse 8. If you go there, it talks about our God who is alive and well. And then it talks about all these other idols who are created, who are blind, who are deaf, who are unseeing. And it talks about the people who worship them become what they behold. Okay, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 talks, this is Paul talking, he says, we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. When we contemplate, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we focus on him, our being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We become what we behold. So, so we either become what, what our idols are or we become who our master is more and more. We become more and more like Jesus. That's progressive sanctification. That's, that's where we're in this process. Herodias, one of her gods was this anger this rage, this, this focus. And I imagine it doesn't, it wasn't just towards John the Baptist, but this, this murder. So John said something that she disagreed with. And all of a sudden she held it. She nursed that grudge. She held that, that unforgiveness. And so we're back in this place where we need that reminder. <laughs> we need that reminder of how key forgiveness is. Max Lucado said it this way. He said, hatred is the rabid dog that turns on its owner. Revenge is the raging fire that consumes the arsonist. Bitterness is the trap that snares the hunter. Herodias had all of those things. And, and what we need to understand is that rage and hatred and unforgiveness the, the, are, are horrible masters. Because when, when we focus on it, we become more and more like it, more and more consumed, more and more lost. We lose our way. When we focus on Jesus, we become more and more found. We become more and more clean. We become more and more able to act and to move the way that we were created for.
Forgiveness is a way of life. Jesus told his disciples, he said, how, when they said, hey, how many times should we forgive? Once, twice, three times? Jesus says, no, no, no. no it's 70 times seven. It's infinite. Jesus modeled forgiveness when he was hanging on a cross. The sins that, that you and I have committed, that the whole world have committed, is essentially put Jesus on that cross. When he's hanging on that cross, his, one of his prayers to God was, Father, forgive them. Jesus not only called us to it, he did it and he does it. And, and the thing that we need to, to grab onto is that forgiveness from God has covered. When we choose Jesus, how do we choose Jesus? We recognize and we speak with our mouth. We believe it in our heart that we're lost. If you're watching right now and you've never, you've never come before God and said, Lord, I need you. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you came, you lived, you died, and you rose again. If you haven't prayed that prayer, we want to pray it with you, please, at the end, or even right now, click on that pray now button. We want to come alongside you. It, it's so key. But, but when we choose Jesus, our sins from the past, our sins in the present, our sins in the future are forgiven. God is a God of forgiveness. Amazing. Amazing. Which means that, that really there's no room for unforgiveness in our life. There's this developmental psychologist at a university in the States who's been conducting research on forgiveness for decades. Here's a couple things he's found. Uh, patients with coronary artery disease who completed forgiveness therapy, so really taught how to forgive, had better blood flow to their hearts and it reduced their risk of sudden death. He was part of a study that looked into the use of forgiveness therapy uh, as treatment for substance abuse. And those who took part in, in 12 twice-weekly sessions reported less depression and anxiety and improvement in self-esteem and reduced vulnerability to drug use than the control group. Herodias needed to go to that guy. Actually, what Herodias needed to do was listen to Jesus who is right in, in her midst. So here's, here's the challenge for us then, isn't it? The challenge for us is, okay, uh, so, so sometimes part of the callus around our heart is, is a relationship. It's, a, a, it's this unforgiveness that we have towards something. Okay, so, so when should I forgive? And this is, this is one of the most important parts. When should I, because this is what I've heard as, as I've walked through life, and, and it's possible maybe I've even said it to, to people, but I'm in a different place now. Now pay attention. When should I forgive? Well, should I forgive? when the person says sorry, right? We teach our kids that, oh, oh you, you hurt him. Well, you need to go say sorry. And then you need to say, not that it's okay because it wasn't okay what they did. They hit you with a stick on the head. That wasn't okay, but you can say, I forgive you. Okay, so timing. Do we need to forgive when somebody asks for it? No, 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 way before that. Okay, but wait, do we need to forgive when they actually mean it. Because I know that, that they're just saying I'm sorry, but they don't really mean it. No, 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 way before that. 
you need to forgive before the offenses even happen. What are you talking about? That's impossible. Well, it's not actually. And, and it's something that, that I've been practicing and, and I'll actually use it with people when, when it's a good relationship and it's a late one, like somebody accidentally does something and say, sorry, I, I, already, I already forgive you be, before it happened. I already forgave you. You're going, okay, that, that doesn't make sense. Okay, he, here's, here's how, um, how it, here's one way to, to think about it. I'm going to give you a tip here, and it's going to help you in two places. And I don't know why I didn't think of this, but a bookkeeper a few years ago told me, hey, you should think about carrying just a balance in your credit card account. Because all the rewards are great, but where they get you is every time you miss that, that pay-by date, you're paying interest. And, and that's where the amount of interest that you're paying eventually doesn't actually equal out to the rewards. Carry a balance, so carry some money in your credit card account. That when you put your credit card to pay for something, it goes into the account, and it's already paid for. There's no interest. You're going, wow, I, I sh you should do that. But listen, it's the same with forgiveness in our relationships to one another. Put a, put a balance, put, a, put a, an amount of forgiveness in, in that relationship area where you're set, where, where when somebody does something to you, it's already forgiven before it goes out. Listen, what God does, your sins from the past, now you're, you're forgiven. And when you know Jesus, it's a matter of just coming before him and confessing it because you're already forgiven. The forgiveness is done with one another. Forgive before the offense happens. Keep that balance. So when somebody does something that hurts you, yes, it hurts. No, it wasn't okay, but forgive. Remember what Jesus said after when he came back to his disciples. He breathed on them. This is in John 20. Forgive others. That, that was one of the, the key things that he said, or their sins aren't forgiven. Now, he wasn't saying that you have the ability to forgive and, and release people from sin. That's only God. But what he's saying is when you hold on to unforgiveness, it binds you, it locks you, it holds you. Live the way of forgiveness. Verse 26, the king is greatly distressed because of his oaths and his, uh, and his dinner guests. He did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brings back his head on a platter. He presents it to the girl and she gives it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples come and they take him and they bury his body. We have Herod here. We get another glimpse of his character or, or his lack of character. And, and he's trapped himself. And see, he could have made a decision back when Salome, Herodias' daughter, asked for his head. He, he knew that was wrong. He, he could have made that decision back there, but, but he doesn't. 
hurts. He's distressed because he's more afraid of what people are going to think. He's more afraid of what he's said and what he's committed to. He's more afraid of people than he is oriented towards God. His ears have been tickled. He's heard, but he hasn't actually heard. And so Herod's made decision after decision after decision after decision that's landed him in this place where his orientation is all around him and his kingdom. And what we need to do, church, see every single decision that we make, every decision we meet, we make matters. Every decision has potential to, to, to move us towards great kingdom impact or to, to only build our kingdom. And when we get to the end of, of this life, our kingdom, whatever it is, whether we're successful, wealthy, anything, if, if it's not second in priority behind seeking first God's kingdom, none of it will matter. Our hearts need to be in tune with God, not thinking about what's this person going to think, what's this person going to think. Our decisions need to be oriented around, okay, how can I serve God? How can I seek him First, I have in my hands this platter. And as we, we've read this, we, we hear what, what happened, that John's head was brought and, and given to, to Herodias on a platter. What we need to do, church, is, is we need to, to really make sure that our platter is empty. Now, Herodias grabbed onto this unforgiveness and this rage. She was so consumed with, with what John was saying and, and how she looked around that, that she was, was laser focused on his death, on, on John the Baptist. That was one of her calluses. What, what is your callus? What is the callous in your heart that blocks you from hearing? What is the callous uh, of, what is that habit that you keep pressing up against again and again? And, and what we need to do, church, is make sure that there, there's nothing that we're carrying around on our platter. We need to empty the platter. Now, most likely, if your ears are open right now, the way that we prayed, you have some indication of what that is, of what that callous is, of what that resistance is, of what that sin is, what, whatever it is. Listen, the worst thing you can do right now, the, the worst thing you can do is go, yeah, I'll, I'll sort that out. I, I got it covered. I can't tell, I can't tell anybody about it. This is the worst thing you can do. And, and that's the voice of the enemy saying, keep it sealed, keep it closed. The best thing you can do is move into a place where you're known. Move into a place 
where people are around you, where people love you, where they're supporting you, where you can get prayer, where you can break these things off. So I'm going to remind you, I'm just going to remind you again, there's that little pray button. We've got prayer teams standing by who want to pray with you. If you're connected in a community group and you have people there, great. You need to, you need to start talking. You need to talk about what the calluses are. Church, we've got to rise up. We've got to move into this world as light bearers. But it's hard to be a light bearer when we're carrying around all of these different things, all these different calluses on our platter. God's heart for you is so good. His fullness is so amazing. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you've done that can separate you. There's nothing you're doing that can separate you from God when you come before him. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to move into ministry time. Lord, first, we thank you so much. We thank you for John the Baptist and his ministry. We thank you, Lord, that you have used even, even the story of his brutal death to speak to us, to challenge us, to invite us. Lord, open again, we pray, open our eyes to see where we have calluses on our heart. Lord, open our ears to hear your voice, your voice that calls out, I love you. I love you. I have a way for you. Open our ears, Lord. And then give us courage, Lord, to take the step to move into those places, to, 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 to move into those relationships where we can be honest, where we can bear our calluses, where we can support one another as you bring out the scalpel to cut the callus away, Lord, to heal us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just invite you to move, move among us, Lord. Stir us up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to bless you, church. Have an amazing week. I'm super excited to see you in person back here at CMC this coming week, this next Sunday. And so also keep in mind, if you're in a community group, great. We're going to start giving out some of those details soon. If you're not, you need to get in one. It's absolutely imperative. That's the place where, where we're actually known and where we grow and we move together. Have an amazing week, church.